three famous guys going incognito on a mission to bring you the most compelling stories. Rags to riches, paranormal activity, comedy, drama, murder, sadness and trauma. It's all right here. This is Three Famous Guys, the podcast where no topic is off limits. And now your hosts, the international men of mystery, Gus, Jim, and Mark. All right, my name's Gus, and with me today is uh, Jim. Mark, is uh, his internet went down up there in Wisconsin today, so he's not going to be with us. So, Jim, uh, your internet seems to be doing good. Yeah, no problems here. We had some bad storms yesterday, so uh, I think that's behind us now. Oh, cool. So it's about time. So my phone's been going crazy. My internet's crazy. I have fiber optic two gig up and down and first time I ever had it uh, do that to me. So anyway, but we got a great show. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Three Famous Guys podcast, the show where we sit down with some of the most iconic figures in entertainment and pop culture and pretty much anybody. We just like to hear people's stories. Today, we have the honor of talking to one of Hollywood's true legends, Stanley Livingston. You might know Stanley from his unforgettable role as Chip Douglas on the beloved TV show My Three Sons. His contributions to the entertainment industry go far beyond that. As a child actor, Stanley starred in numerous films and TV shows, making a name for himself as one of the most talented and versatile performers of his generation. Stanley's talents didn't stop there. In fact, he went on to become a successful producer, director, working on a wide range of projects both in Hollywood and beyond. From indie films to blockbuster hits, Stanley has done it all, even an undelible mark on the world of cinema. Stanley is deep committed to using his uh, platform for good, supporting a variety of charities and causes that are close to his heart. Whether he's advocating for social justice or raising awareness about environmental issues, Stanley's impact on the world extends far beyond his work in camera. So without further ado, let's dive into our conversation with Stanley Livingston as we explore his fascinating career both on and off camera. Well, thank you for being with us, Stanley. Do you like to be called Stan or Stanley? Or... Stan's fine, sure. Okay, well. Yeah, we don't have to be formal. <laughs> we had one, uh, Nicole's usually with us. She's sick today as well. So what a day. Oh, wow, wow. Something's happening out there. I guess. Spooky. Let's let's go back just a little bit before we get into everything because I know you do a, you have a lot of projects, a lot of things you're involved in. But you are a child actor. I am that. You are you are that. So and actually part of a show that's run is like one of the longest, or is it the longest show that's been it's, continuously? Yeah, going. it's actually the second longest. Second longest. Uh, Ozzy and Harriet was the uh, first longest running sitcom. They went 14 years. My Three Sons ran a total of uh, 12 years and 380 episodes. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. And it's never gone off the air. That's the crazy part. It literally has gone from primetime to syndication to cable to you name it. It's, uh, what is it, 63 years later, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's, It's up there. Is this the first thing you've ever done? Was my three sons? Is that, or were you in some some other things before that? Yeah, yeah. No, I was in uh, quite a few things before that. That's how I got my three sons. Uh, started out like most kid actors do as an extra, and uh, an agent uh, discovered me at a swimming swim school in Hollywood and thought I might make a, a good candidate to be a child actor. And uh, she kept after my mom. My mom finally consented, and you know, she said, "Well, you're probably not going to get parts with dialogue at first. You go." out and you kind of get your feet wet being an extra amongst four or five other little kids when they had a little scene where they needed a bunch of uh you know children on the show and i did that for a while and then i did an ozzy and harriet episode where i was hired as an extra and for whatever reason ozzy pulled me aside
aside and said, hey, could you say this line of dialogue? And he gave me a line to say, told me where to be when I said it, put a little piece of tape on the floor, said, when you get right on this mark, look at me, don't look down at the tape and say the line and then go off camera right. So right. Um, anyway, I did it a couple times. They moved the camera a little bit closer. We did it again. I got my close up. And at the end of the day, told my mom, be sure to leave your contact. Uh, information with my secretary in the front office. Uh, he wanted to have me back again. And so between 19, end of 1957 and 1960, I probably did about 15 Aussie and Harriet. In between that, the other part of my career got going. I started doing movies. Uh, I was in a movie called The Bonnie Parker Story with Dorothy Provine. I was in a movie called Rally Around the Flag Boys with uh, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, Tuesday Well. Um, and then I did a TV pilot, which ultimately is probably responsible for my career. Uh, what happened was, in between shots, I used to go wandering around General Services studio a lot and would walk onto different sound stages and just watch. I was all of seven years old, but on the stage next door to us, uh, there was a horse working. And at that time, I was taking riding lessons and I was real interested in horses. And the guy who was the animal handler, handler and trainer, uh, you know, he was a pretty cool guy. Let me go out back with him. He gave me some carrots to feed the horse, brush it. He put me up on the horse and got to walk around sitting on the back of the horse. Well, it turned out the horse was Mr. Ed. So oh, wow. that, that was kind of cool. cool. And then on the next stage over, there was a dog working. And I'd see him go in and out of the stage store all the time. So I wandered over there because that was a, a real dog person already and played with that dog and one day this older guy came up to me and you know wearing a suit so i figured i was in a lot of trouble and he said who are you and what's your name and you know i stood up shook his hand said hey my name's stanley livingston nice to meet you anyway uh, we had a little 10 minute long conversation and then he looked at me and said y you know what i'd like to meet your mom so i asked him i said am i in trouble and he said no no it's okay so i brought him over to stage five where they shot ozzy and harriet introduced him to my mom and i kind of slithered way to make sure I wasn't in trouble. And uh, he stood there and talked to my mom for about 15 minutes. Anyway, that was about, I don't know, August of 1958. Uh, in December of 1958, that guy had written a TV pilot for me uh, that he was going to produce and direct, and it was called Skippy, and I was the star of the TV pilot. So we shot it uh, at the end of, uh, yeah, 1958. Huh. It was called Skippy. And the How guy that my mom was, I had just turned eight. My birthday oh, wow. was in November and December we started shooting it. So I was eight years old. Anyway, the guy that came up to me and the director and producer was Jackie Cooper, who was one of oh, the most cool. famous child stars ever. And I guess he saw a bit of himself in me and he starred in a movie called Skippy when he was, uh, I guess it was 1934. He was about eight years old and uh, wanted to recreate it as a potential TV project. Of course, it never sold, but it was a heck of a piece of film on me. Of course, I never saw it till about two years ago. Uh, I was too young to, you know, in those days, it really, didn't uh, end it up on TV. It. Yeah, it just existed as 16 millimeter film. So my agent started borrowing that reel to show producers or casting people my work because I was literally the show. Say I was on screen 90% of the time. I had about probably about 60% of the dialogue. And, uh, you know, the movie or the TV pilot was starring me. So it made a, a great impression. So that's how I got the next movie, which was Please Don't Eat the Daisies with Doris Day and David Niven. And then about a year later, the uh, film was shown to the producers of a potential new TV pilot uh, called My Three Sons. Based on them seeing that, uh, very next day, I got hired to play Chip Douglas. Cool. So we'll, we'll jump ahead and then we'll jump back a little bit. But uh, Chip, mm -hmm. 
Chip Douglas. So I saw a movie one time, and, and you'll know this movie. And I know you have a story about it with Jim Carrey, the cable, oh, the yeah, cable yeah, guy. The, so, so cable look, guy, because he called himself Chip Douglas during that movie. He, so, he did. So he also fire, called himself Ernie Douglas. Ernie Douglas, right? Yeah. Now who's Ernie? Yeah, I don't know him. Just my <laughs> okay. brother. Yeah, right. What's that guy doing there, right? Um, yeah, it. Uh, well, that was a curious story because you know a lot of time clip from previous TV shows or other work are cut into more modern films or whatever. Anyway, the idea of the cable guy was a child who was left at home and kind of was a latchkey kid. His mom was off to work and he didn't have anything to do but entertain himself watching TV. Uh, and as the movie opened, he's watching My Three Sons and you know, the image on the TV set was me and Fred McMurray, I think it was actually from the TV pilot. And uh, so anyway, I got a call one day. This is before the movie was shot and said, uh, you know, we're, we have a scene of my three sons in there. And, you know, they were wanted to get my permission to be able to use it. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I'll give you my permission. And then they are supposed to negotiate with you what you're going to get paid for the clip usage, which uh, they offered me, I think it was scale. And I said, yeah. gee, you know, that's, you know, I usually do that for TV shows. I said, but there's a movie. I said, isn't this the movie where Jim Carrey's getting $20 million? Right. I said, why don't you go back to the table and come back with another offer? So they, you know, Huff kind of said, well, we'll, we'll get back to you and, and hung right. up. And I just figured, hey, they're going to go on and get Jerry Mathers from the Beaver or something. So I never <laughs> heard from them again until about a year or two later. And I happened to be at a party at uh, Paramount for the launch of TV Land. And so I'm standing there and talking to some people and this lady came up to me and she said, oh, we, we would love to invite you to a, a world premiere of a movie uh, this Friday. And I'm like, oh, great. What is it? She said, The Cable Guy. And I said, oh, wow. And she's, I said, so why do you want to invite me? She says, well, you're in the movie. The movie starts off on you. In the There's a film clip running and Jim Carrey's watching you as a kid. And I'm going, oh, okay, that sounds great. Yeah, I'd love to come. I said, but you know, nobody ever got back to me about that clip. I go, you know, that clip isn't clear. Not right. by me. And I'm a Assuming you got it cleared by CBS to actually use the footage, he went pale. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I said, I'm assuming all your prints have been struck. It's opening on Friday. So right. she said, I'll have somebody from Business Affairs call you tomorrow. And right and early the next morning, I got a call from Paramount. Uh, okay, we made a mistake. What do you want? So I <laughs> told them what I wanted, which was, it wasn't outrageous. I mean, it was probably appropriate clip usage in a film at that time. And the guy didn't flinch at all. The next day FedEx arrived and I had a check in my hands. But nice. to tell you about that, you know, we, we our, my three cents has played on cable for what, the past 40 years. I made more money for that clip than I did for all the usage of my three sons on cable like 40 years wow and not that that amount was it was a good amount but it you know it just showed you how little we were being paid for cable virtually nothing at all right yeah they are union and the producers and stuff basically no it wasn't just me sure. screwed every actor known to man when you know they finally decided right. they wanted to do something with classic tv shows so anyway it was a little bit of revenge but uh kind of fun anyway well i ended up in the movie and you know he ended up calling his character chip douglas so I, Consider that an honor. I went to the premiere, got to meet Jim Carrey, who had actually been doing a My Three Sons routine in his comedy uh, set that he had done for probably the last five, ten years. Right. Uh, somebody sent it to me once. I guess he was in a comedy store somewhere around the country. And, you know, he would do various people. And he, he was expert 
got not only mimicking the voices, but he could contort his face into you know so many people. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd seen him do Michael Landon, Fred McMurray, uh, right. Lynn Eastwood. I mean, he, he was just awesome. absolutely amazing. You know, and had they come to me appropriately because of my love for Jim Carrey, I'd take the film, go ahead, I don't care. Right. Well, it was it was an easy payday for you then. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I was a little bit mad at that CBS, so it was you know kind of my little. Here, I'll stick it to you guys that like you stuck it to me. So. Right. right. So when you were doing um, uh, My Three Sons, so, uh, and and I remember watching as a kid, so I'm I'm not... Mm-hmm. Uh, You're up there. Yeah, I'm up there. So, <laughs> well, either that or you saw it in reruns. I did just say my age, so I'm going to edit that out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Be proud of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Own it. Be proud of it. When you're doing that, so you were, when you started My Three Sons, you were eight, nine? Uh, we did the pilot when I was nine years old. Nine years old. I was done in 59, and uh, yeah, we didn't, you know, had a couple false starts, uh, mainly because of the Robbie care. Uh, you know, they had the thing completely cast by then. Of course, they knew they had Fred McMurray because the whole show was built around him. Uh, and they had William Frawley from I Love Lucy, the Fred Merch character, was now coming to My Three Sons to play the grandfather named Bub. Right. Uh, they had Tim Considine, who had worked with Fred McMurray uh, at Disney several times. Uh, most recently, then, was the Shaggy Dog. Uh, and they had me, and then the character they had a problem with uh, was um, was Robbie. We we started, actually, with another actor named Billy Chapin, Lauren Chapin's brother. And I don't remember what happened, uh, but it was a false start, and he was gone. They got another guy, and we started shooting again. They let him go, and uh, I don't know, they said this guy didn't have comedy I mean, or couldn't do comedy. So they put the word out again for another Robbie. And my mom happened to know an agent who had a son who was working as an actor, actually, who was a Mouseketeer and just got through doing a, um, a Bonnie and Clyde. No, it wasn't Bonnie Clyde. It was Ma Barker movie called Ma Barker and her killer brood. So it was an actor named Don Grady. And uh, they auditioned him, liked him and brought him in. We started shooting again. And we finally had the... Uh, the final lineup from My Three Sons when it began. And, uh, oh, yeah, the actor couldn't do comedy. Well, that was Ryan O'Neill, who went oh, on wow. and it turned out he, he could do comedy. <laughs> so yeah. somehow maybe he just hadn't hit his stride yet. Sure. You can be a good actor and just not get that right part. Right, right. In the show Ozzy and Harriet, Ozzy, was that DeFore? Don DeFore was on Don that DeFore. show, yeah. Okay, so yeah. I, I actually have talked to his son here recently, um, and so... Hopefully mm-hmm. he might possibly be on sometime here soon too. But well, yeah, they had a lot of great character actors back in the, those days. Right, they were right. on the show as the neighbors and very colorful, you know, character actors right, right, that kind of made the right. show. Yeah, the kids made it to it. You know, by the point we came on, Ricky and David were already, you know, in their very late teens. I think eighteen, nineteen. Um, yeah, that's how you inject fresh blood into right. uh, into a show you know we did the same thing on my three sons over and over again you know with the addition of my brother Ernie, and then later with the triplets so you know that's Very how cool. shows did it so when you're doing my three sons are were you doing any other work during that time or was it pretty much just strictly my three sons at that point no um i could do movies i couldn't do other tv shows and while all my buddies you know have a, a ton of tv credit and you will to be honest see i got into the movie business when I was a kid, I had visions of being a cowboy actor, a la Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, and I haven't had uh, headshots with me in cowboy costumes, and uh, I never could get a Western. Weren't you in the movie How the West Was Won? Much later. 
Oh, okay. talk about okay. when I started it was 1956. So I went about seven, eight years before I got my first Western. Oh, uh, gotcha. Where all my buddies, you know, they were doing, uh, you know, the Rifleman, Virginia, and all this right, different right. wagon train. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm dying, you know, I'm just oh. a regular kid, like on Dennis the Menace or something. So <laughs> I was very jealous. So yeah, my time came actually in 1961. I did a, another film before I did How the West Was One. Uh, I think it was 1961, 62, called X-15 oh, that yeah. starred Char Charles Bronson. <laughs> and it was the first film of Mary Tyler Moore. Nice. Uh, and it was the first film as a director, first feature film for Richard Donner. So, uh, yeah, that... Yeah, so in between, I, I got to do feature films, but I was not allowed to do any other TV shows. That's why I'm saying I didn't have a lot right. of TV credits sure. in those days because they prohibited me from doing other TV shows because it was always the worry. We were sponsored by Chevrolet, and you could get on a show that was sponsored by Pontiac or Ford or oh, something. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, there would be a, a crisis if that happened. Right. right. So, uh, and then in, I think it was 63, I... I my agent got a call and was the director wanted to see me uh, named Henry Hathaway and went out on that. And that was for How the West Was Won. Well, it turned out, you know, all those Westerns on TV, I never could do and never got auditioned for. Right. Finally, I hit the Grand Slam. I ended up of uh, probably one of the most iconic Westerns ever. Uh, mm -hmm. It was shot in Cinerama, but it starred everybody yeah, in Hollywood, names. basically. Yeah. yeah, John Wayne, Henry Fonda, Jimmy Stewart, I mean, you name it, they were in the movie. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I was in the last third of the movie. The movie was divided up into three trunks and given right. to three different directors, uh, John Ford, Henry Hathaway, uh, I think it was George Marshall. I can't remember who the third director was. And I worked with Henry Hathaway on that. And my dad nice. was George Papard. My mom was Carolyn Jones. And I'm probably scattered throughout the last third. Uh, yeah. So, nice. yeah, yeah, that was a great film. And to this day, they restored it, I think, in 2012, uh, digitally. I mean, they restored it digitally, but they mm -hmm. restored the actual film right. itself. And it looks beautiful. And I've been invited to go there. Well, I went to the first time they re premiered it in 2012 and got to introduce mm -hmm. the film along with Debbie Reynolds. I think Russ Tamlin was there and some of the other uh, actors right, still right. alive. But it's come down to in the last couple of years, well, right before COVID, uh, I guess three years in a row, I went there and introduced the film, told some stories about shooting it uh, at the Arclight Cinerama Dome in Hollywood where it screened. And uh, yeah, so it's a great film. Really, I'm amazed how well it holds up. It, it yeah. has this, it's a great Same story, power. but it has this sense of humor that goes through it that just resonates with audience today. Right. Yeah, you know, visually, it's stunning, if, especially if you see it in Cinerama like they do at the uh, at the bowl, at, at the dome, I mean. Um, but then there's also a 70 millimeter uh, version of it, too, that when they can't get three projectionists to show up, right. they show this other version. And that's actually what Cinerama became. So it's an important film to the movie industry, uh, especially when it came out, because it Put butts back in seats. That's what Cinerama did. Cinerama, right. uh, the movie industry was in dire straits back right. in the mid '50s because television had come along, and people are staying home. They needed a reason to get people back to the theater. So instead of having the square three by four format, you had this not only wide but 
ultra wide right. format that and because of the curve of the screen really felt immersive boy it was quite an experience if you haven't experienced cinerama so that brought people back to the theater in droves at one time i think there were 300 350 cinerama uh you know theaters right. in the united states i think there's only about three now so it's nice to be part of that history too that you know did something for the industry and lo and behold it's uh got staying power it still shows i'm assuming as soon as the dome opens again uh they'll be hopefully have another cinerama film festival or two films made an actual uh, cinerama process that so was the wonderful world of brothers Grimm and and uh, how the west is one there are a sure. few others that are cinerama like uh, uh mad man madden world and um what was the other one uh space odyssey uh, oh, yeah. 2001 but yeah. they're shown in that ultra 70 millimeter process so it fills up the same amount of the screen but you don't have a lot Lines. Right. It's anamorphic, so you only need one projectionist, and it just unsqueezes it, and you watch it in widescreen format. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm really I'm proud, as proud of that as I guess I am my three sons. Oh yeah, part of that. So going back to uh, so let, let's <clears throat> how long were you on my three? What age were you when you finished my three sons? Well, by the time the last show aired, I was almost twenty three. <laughs> so nine to. So you went through a whole lot of your childhood uh, on that show. So right, right. So, so tell me a little bit, because I know you're involved in some things um, because of being a child actor right. and because of all the other child actors out there that, uh, I mean, let's face it, we, we've, I mean, we've read in the, in the news and everything how some of them, mm -hmm. you know, they've made a lot of money and then... By the time they're of age, there's no money. And back then, there was there was probably more abusive behavior, is what I'm guessing that wasn't brought to light like it would be today necessarily. So give us it's, give it's us, still the same, okay. unfortunately. Right. Well, give us a little bit of uh, of what you're doing today uh, to help with that because I know you're really involved and you're yeah. really concerned about child actors, their parents. Yeah, there was a project that I created uh, probably about well, the idea came to me over ten years ago, but I actually thought long and hard about it. Wow, since the mid 90s and it was something that i saw in the industry and i'm sure i'm not the only one that recognized it but uh, <clears throat> you know when you become an actor uh, whether it's a child actor but particularly if you're an adult actor you know your your first job is to go get yourself trained you know go to an acting school somewhere it can be a mom and pop acting school in in whatever in arkansas for that matter or you know you can go to a, a university a college a junior college and you take drama courses you take cinema courses and you hone your skills meaning the art and craft of acting and every actor does that whether you've gone to new york and you're part of the actor's studio whether you've gone to yale or harvard so you come to the industry itself trained as an actor but what you're not trained in is the business skills or the non-performance skills that are necessary to break into the industry to stimulate a career to develop a career and hopefully become successful and if you get a career to be able to sustain it you know, because it's, it's right. not like you get it to a certain level and it just perpetuates itself. Far from it. I mean, you have to work on it almost every day. It's just that kind of thing. I, I saw that for years. I saw people that come here and would work for a while and then disappear. And you go, God, what the hell happened? You know, and you talk to them and you go, I, I just could not figure out how to keep my career going or 
my agent died, you know, right after I did these three films. And then I just couldn't get another agent. I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't get work. <clears throat> and uh, long and hard about, you know, what would everything that I knew about it mm -hmm. on the other side of the camera and talk to a lot of people, uh, talk to a buddy of mine who at that time was uh, one of the, uh, well, he was actually the president of the Directors Guild of America, a guy named Gene Reynolds. And he was a child actor, so he kind of knew the drill too, but he'd you know, moved on to directing and as a big director mash and Lou Grant and God knows what else. And so I, I just said, how would you, you know, kind of go about this? And yeah, you know, I wanted to hear get some mm -hmm. input from him. And you know, I was actually thinking about it even before that. I had another friend who actually was a director of my three sons who was a pretty powerful person in the in the movie industry and ran it by him, a guy named Fred de Cordova. And that was at its earliest inception and, you know, uh, had a couple meetings and, you know, we talked about it and he thought it was actually a, a pretty cool idea to do something like that. And I said, look, it, it's not done. It's not all this stuff would, is not taught at colleges and university. They pretty much concentrate on the, on the you know, the acting and the craft right. of acting. Right. So I finally a program together and reached out to about a hundred of my closest friends in the industry. They were not just actors, but there was a lot of actors in it, but uh, producers, directors, uh, casting directors, managers, agents, every way you could look at the business side of being an actor. And then it took me a while to raise the money to do that. I'm, you know, I'm basically guilty right. of being a kind of a crafty, artsy person and not really the business person. But I had to spend about two years giving myself an MBA. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I got all these people to commit. It took me about two, three years to go out there and raise the money, you know, to be able to do this. But uh, basically what we did is the idea originally came about as a product or a program uh, for kids, well, the parents of kids, because it's the parents who do all the work. Uh, so that, and they're the ones that are probably even more exploited than the adult actors. So right. um, brought in some child actors, but I had about 100 people. Uh, most of them, I would say, almost to a person had 25, 30 years of experience in the industry. They're not sometimes the people that you get information from or that at your level, you're going to get the information from who've right. been in the show, for, been in the entertainment industry for about five minutes. But, you know, these are the horse's mouth. They've been there, they've done it, they right. succeeded, so you're getting information from them. Um, and then about 50 of the people had either been nominated for or won Academy Emmy Golden Globe Awards. So, you know, they're lauded by the industry right. itself. But, and then I had the president of the Screen Actors Guild as one of those uh, persons. I also had the president of the Directors Guild of America. It was quite an illustrious list of people who teach the program. Right. It wasn't just awesome. me originally. I thought it was going to be, but I thought, why would anyone want to listen to me, you know, for two hours or 10 hours? Right. I thought I'm going <laughs> to bring all these other people and so yeah you know i got a lot of you know henry winkler showed up michael york danny trey i mean the whole, it's just a right. list of iconic people from the industry teach this program so it's fun to watch yeah, yeah well absolutely. it was originally a dvd program uh i pulled it back about five years ago off the market because i started working and i couldn't run the company it was just too much for me mm -hmm. but anyway right now i finally got everything transcoded uh into uh, proper video that's now going to go up on the internet and it's going to become a streaming video program so it'll probably nice. be available hopefully in the next couple of months and we're almost through uploading everything the website's being built and, yeah, uh, and yeah and and the idea behind it is you don't have to come and you shouldn't come to Hollywood when you're first beginning. Right, uh, right. But you'll find out why that is. And uh, yeah, 
and we wanted people to avail themselves of this program wherever they live. You know, it made sense at first to have it as a DVD program. And people could order it whether they live in Pea Ridge, Arkansas, or right. whether they live in L.A. or New York or, you know, Mississippi. It didn't matter. You get, you get the same information. Right. And we teach right. you how to go about doing what you're going to need to do. You know, most people think acting is just acting. You're going to get involved in the industry, and every day of your life, you're going to be acting. Well, let me clue you in. Flash forward 50 years, and you can, and if you had a very successful career, and it was all film, and you loaded it up on a projector and showed it, it'll probably last maybe a couple of weeks, or if you're really lucky, maybe a couple months. So if you're 50 years old, that means the other 48 or 49 years and, and 10 months, you were out there looking for work. And you were yeah. actually doing the business of acting, not acting, because that's what it comes down to. It's about 99% right. of your time is spent getting work and doing the other things you need to do to perpetuate a career and sustain it. And the industry just keeps you know, throwing actors, even successful ones, curveballs. I mean, you can be really popular for four or five years and then your phone stops ringing and if you want to continue what are you going to do you know right. what to do and even those people don't you know so right anyway i think it's uh you know a quantum leap for actors to get this information right at the inception of their career unlike and where can they find health. that and where can well, they find it'll that be up, yeah it's it, the website that'll finally be put up is called theactorsjourney.com and that's okay, the website perfect. that used to be up. And if you want to take a look at some preview clips, go to YouTube. There's a YouTube channel called The Actor's Journey Channel. Yeah, and I put it. up about 50 clips of some of the various people uh, who are in it. And you'll recognize all those faces. Yep. The other 40, 50, 60 people are all behind the camera people. But they're all you know, nice. equally well-known to people in the industry and had illustrious careers, too. We will put links to all that stuff in the description with this podcast. So, yeah, as, as well as your website, because on your website, uh, you're an artist. Well, if you spend as much time not being able to talk as I did when I was a kid, you know, we were on a soundstage, and obviously you have to, uh, you know, occupy your time with something in between setups and all that. And, right. you know, when I was younger, I started drawing and painting, and uh, it actually turned into something where I literally learned, I think, every kind of art form, uh, you know, right. watercolor, oil yeah, sure. painting, drawing. You even play and, guitar, and, too, right? And, yeah, I even playing guitar. Oh, that that came later, and I got banished <laughs> off the set for that. They put me over on another soundstage where it was literally soundproof, so they couldn't hear me, you know, playing my electric guitar. Uh, but go. yeah, it turned me into a, you know, over the years, I realized, wow, I'm pretty much a pretty good artist and pretty professional. And right. I used to do stained glass for a while too. I had a oh, stained wow. glass business, and you know, sold a lot of stained glass. You know, it's like a hobby. But I had all these paintings that I had done and either given to people or sold. And uh, fortunately, I kept photographs, high-res photographs of everything. And then yeah, about a year or two ago, I thought, you know, I should do something with this. These are really, I think, amazing paintings. And, uh, you know, people Absolutely. seem interested in buying them. So I created uh, yeah, StanleyLivingstonArt.com, put about 50, 60 of the paintings that I did up there. Very nice. And, you know, for people that are interested in artwork, uh, you can go there. Or celebrity artwork, some people call it. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. And then 
the other part of my life is shoot it well it was till COVID came along. You have a production company too. So if you right. want to see what I've done production wise, go to firstteamproductions.com. Over the years, we've uh, produced a lot of things, everything from you know shorts to music videos to feature films to TV pilots. Right. Um, anyway, when COVID started in 2020, I had two projects uh, that had just gotten funded. One was a TV talk show. The other was a, a TV pilot for a, a sitcom. And unfortunately, it's the only time in my life, and I'm still crying. I had to give the money back. I couldn't shoot it. I just thought we are doing, you know, who knows what's going to happen if you bring right. you know, 40, 50 people onto a sound stage, start shooting. It's exactly what Screen Actors Guild yeah. was asking us not to do. And as the producer of it, there's liability there, you know. Like Absolutely. If somebody gets sick, I couldn't find anybody to underwrite any kind of COVID insurance. Uh, and, you know, I was also the, the signatory on the uh, limited liability limited liability companies so if anything went wrong guess who they're suing yeah me (laughs) so yeah i fortunately had to send that check back say you know hopefully you're with us when i feel that this is past and more comfortable so yeah i still have the tv pilot um like to do something with it it's a very funny show and uh you know hopefully we can get the money again and go out and shoot it and it's something i'll be producing maybe with a partner or two and and directing so yeah feel feel good about that how long have you been married? I've been married for six years, but I've been with the same woman for 27 years. 27, long time. Yeah, yeah my, my wife's an attorney. Gotcha. <laughs> so nice. We argue a lot. That's what she does for a living, so I always lose. Yeah, well, mine's not, mine's not an attorney, but we still argue all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, she, does, she does it better than me, let's put yeah, it that way. Yeah, well, yeah, mine too. I think it's just their trait. So in your life, what looking back now... What would you say is probably the most monumental thing that you think you've been involved in? Um, well, certainly my three sons. I mean, if we're looking from a work perspective, that and, and how the West was one of probably the two things I'm most proud of. Although, depending how this actor's journey thing, um, you know, pans out, I'm very proud of that. I mean, right. it was an ordeal, you know, to get the money and the shoot took place over almost like two years to get everybody I wanted. And I cherry picked people, not because I was friends with, but I knew their story. And the way we set up, the way I set up the teaching is by illustration. I knew these people had stories to tell that illustrated the points I was trying to make to actors who, you know, will never figure things out. I mean, it's, <laughs> the way I look at it, it's a real shame right. because everybody comes to the industry all, yeah, rah, rah, rah. Then you hit this brick wall and then they force every actor to reinvent the same wheel. And I just thought, yeah. well, what if somebody has the wheel and we just give you the wheel? You know, you can right. know everything. It, it takes you maybe a week to go through this material. You spend that week and now you know what people who've been doing this for 10 years know, maybe more. Uh, so you have a real advantage. But yeah, I'd like maybe I'd like that as as my legacy, you know, more so than even my two cents. Because I feel like I would be helping actors now that are right. you know attempting to get into the industry and even actors who are in the industry that end up with problems. But for generations to come, because that's the funny thing. You look, I looked at the material and goes, this thing getting a little bit outdated. You know, there might be one or two things, like maybe the way we submit photographs to producers and the way right. we do auditions online is a little bit different. But the funny thing is the uh, actual video opens with this old time clip and it's a picture of a of a casting Place. It's just mm-hmm. casting. There's like three or four people waiting in line. 
Right. And then the sign, I pan down to it, and it says, be sure you get credible information about the movie industry before you get along. It can be dangerous <laughs> to your health. And it was dated, like, I think, 1911. Oh. So, you know, here we are 100 years later. And, it's and still it still holds dangerous. true. It's probably yeah. a lot more yeah. scams and schemes, you know, to fleece actors out of the money or to get involved in non-productive endeavors. And, you know, you don't know it till you've spent a lot of your money that wow, that was worthless. <laughs> what did I get out of that? You know, oh, yeah. We're trying to protect actors from things like that. You're not, you're not looking to slow down anytime soon. <laughs> no, I hope not. I hope I get, you know, one of those guys that just keeps working. You know, I looked at friends of mine who, you know, as directors or even as actors kept going, my brother's really got a great career going and he's going to be uh, 70 this year. I'll be 73 shortly. So nice. uh, yeah, yeah. But there he works. You know, he decided to focus on the acting career part of it. Took him a while to really get it to the point where people hire him based on, you know, they look at his work and he doesn't have to come in to interview, but sure. he's totally willing to interview actors out there. Listen to this guy. It's been doing it for, you know, 65 years. You, even though you've succeeded and even though people offer you stuff, you still got to be willing to show them what you can do. Cool. So Absolutely. he does a lot of self, yeah, submitting, you know, you videotape yourself, uh, which is another whole thing. Actors have had to learn how to do operate cameras, sure. make sure you have some lighting, which in the actor's journey, we have a whole segment on that. And this was you know, made like eight, nine years ago before all that started is you should really, you know, kind of know how the other parts of the industry work. You know, how right. cameras work, how d things are directed, even some editing won't hurt you. And now all those right. skills are required. So I feel like we were ahead of the curve on that one, as we are a lot of things. Well, here's a great question. And this, this really doesn't have anything to do so much with your career. But uh, I want Jennifer Aniston on here. Can you can you arrange that? <laughs> <laughs> I want her over here, too. <laughs> My wife might have something to say about yeah, that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, w I wish I knew or I don't. I don't know. That's called Brad Pitt on that one. Yeah, he's, yeah right. He, he's a little bit further up the food chain than me, and I don't know. I guess they're they're probably still. I was going to ask Larry that today, but you know, he yeah, we had to reschedule him again. But uh, yeah, he worked with her, so yeah, I keep telling my wife, yeah, I, I know we'll we'll have made it when I get Jennifer on here, but uh, yeah, I, I can yeah. dream, right? Yeah, she's nothing wrong she's with dreaming. Timeless. Yeah, she looks the same as when she began. I don't see. Yeah. I can't fault her at all. <laughs> I can't fault. I can ask you a question about um, some of your past episodes on um, um, on My Three Sons. What would be the one that sticks out in your head the most? My favorite episode, well, it mm -hmm. should be the pilot, uh, which is called Chip Off the Old Block, which is a oh, funny episode okay. where Steve and yeah. I are, we have a double dating thing, and neither one of us wants to be with the women we're with. And we, we finally dumped them. My favorite one is called Small Adventure, and it was also okay. filmed the first year. And uh, when I look at it, and I realize why it was my favorite episode, it's the most unusual subject matter for a, t a light TV sitcom. It is almost okay. one of the most frightening episodes you will ever see. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been like on Twilight Zone, but it, it was right. a My Three Sons episode. And what it was about was Tramp is out wandering around in the neighborhood, and apparently mm -hmm. there's a construction site nearby. And he brings a piece of old, it's an active stick of dynamite into the house. Oh, and the yeah. dynamite is everywhere. He, you know, people almost hit it with the door. 
<laughs> one point hit it with something that comes rolling down the store uh, down the stairs and it's percussion dynamite so all you gotta do is hit it the wrong way and right, you right. blow up the whole house it was so i thought so creative you mm -hmm. know it's not your typical show a lot of them you know they're great but they kind of have a similar theme where this one you're literally it's a nail biter you're holding on to sure the, you know to the i'll have to check that one out yeah. yeah check that one it is yeah really absolutely clever. i'll go Very back and rewatch it well with that said uh there's our music uh, i know it came on earlier i'll edit that out so no one will know what they're talking about but hey uh stan thanks for being on here we appreciate it very much um, uh, so I, I'm, I'm really, uh, bummed that Mark couldn't be with us, but the internet issues today. So, so this is the three famous guys, Gus and Jim, and, and, uh, we, we just want you to go to www.threefamousguys.com. We will have all the information that, uh, for Stan that you can find there also on the description of this. Please follow us on Spotify and Apple and all the podcast platforms, uh, whatever ones you use, we're on all of them. So. Anyway, with, uh, with that, this is Gus and Jim, and we're out of here. Have a good one. Thanks for checking out Three Famous Guys. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to try and uncover more about your mystifying hosts, check them out online at www.3famousguys.com. That's www.3famousguys.com. We'll see you next time.